Well, welcome back to Work Minus, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work and quick pivots you can make today to get closer to the future of work. Today, our guest is Jordan Pazimentier, Senior Manager of Policy and Advocacy at Committee for Children. And this episode is Work Minus Emotional Illiterates. Hi, Jordan. How are you today? Doing well, Neil. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm excited for this topic. Very interesting. Emotional illiteracy is the the thing we're trying to move away from. But you're actually an advocate for what's called uh, SEL. Why don't you explain what SEL is and give a quick overview of that? Sure thing. SEL stands for Social Emotional Learning, which has been on the rise across the country as schools realize that they need to prepare their students better for all sorts of things, including future work. Uh, There are a bunch of different ways to think about this, but the easiest way is to think about social-emotional learning as falling within one of five buckets or the relationship between these things. It's self-management, self-awareness, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. Okay, so that kind of gives us a background. It's, It's basically all the things you need to work well, right? Yeah, you know, in the workplace, you'd call this soft skills or the ability to work well with others. Uh, you know, we got a, a bunch of different other terms that have happened around, you know, for the last 30 or 40 years, non-cognitive skills, emotional intelligence, pro-social behaviors. Uh, and, and these are the kinds of things that have come up more and more as being on demand for 21st century skills. So describe the gap. You know, we're, we're talking about the world of work. You all also work in the area of education. So what's that gap that people see now and the difference between this lack of SEL in the workplace? Sure. Well, the, the gap is becoming increasingly apparent as we shift toward a different kind of economy that really relies on the ability of people to work well with others. So like the trend since 1980 has been job growth in occupations that require high social skills. The things that are on the decline are, say, high math skills with low social skills. Those things are going to get eclipsed by robotics and artificial intelligence, as you've probably discussed on the show previously. And the the thing is, the more we hear about what workplace needs, the more we realize we're not preparing our future workforce to accommodate that demand. So like, You'll hear about the four C's from employers saying they need critical thinking, creative problem solving, communication, and collaboration. Uh, there's a fifth C that I've heard uh, called the cultural awareness and sensitivity. And the, the thing is, when we're looking upstream at workforce preparedness, we're not seeing those skills get taught directly and then permeated throughout all the other things that students learn. They're sort of thought of as an add-on, and they really can't be because that is squarely what employers need, and employers aren't getting it. There was uh, one recent survey a couple years back, 98% of the CEOs said they had problems finding candidates with all the four Cs. 31% of all these employers globally say it's tough to find workers to get that combination of skills thereafter. So at the end of the day, there's this huge mismatch between what employers want and what markets demand and how we're preparing the future workforce. So what I'm doing, what we're doing at Committee for Children is trying to identify solutions upstream before it becomes time where you're in the workspace and you've got that difficult employee that you just don't know how to work with. They don't know how to work with you. They're having trouble managing themselves. All this stuff can be addressed before it becomes crisis point. So your director had an interesting quote. Uh, She said, education policy has been stuck in the manufacturing age. Uh, Expand on that for us. What does that mean and how does it affect the current workforce? Uh, sure. So, you know, education in uh, the U.S. 
U.S. has sort of, you know, years ago adopted a tradition of uh, batch processing students to be ready to work uh, in a certain kind of job, certain kind of industry. And we're seeing now that there's great difference in variance with the kind of work that students need. Batch processing probably isn't the best way to get there. And, you know, generally there's a cultural shift to be more aware of what students need to have conditions for learning, uh, you know, what, what's the best way beyond just Algebra 2 and English language arts to, to get these students ready? We talk a lot about 21st century skills, and that is actually a pretty significant departure from the old style factory. Even the new factory doesn't do what the old factory used to do. You have to have a lot more attention and awareness in how you work well with others and how you aware, become aware of yourself when you're working on the floor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It seems like a, you know, we're in a totally different age. We need to prepare people totally differently, but the schools still operate in much the same way they were before. What are some of the good things you're seeing come out of schools and, and some of the work that you guys are doing that is promoting this SEL? Right. So social emotional learning, uh, like I said before, sometimes was thought of as an add-on, but now schools and systems across the country are doing direct instruction on it. Now, to be fair, they've been doing direct instruction on SEL for a number of years, but it's been patchy. And now there's there's really a lot more attention to, to take time out of the school day to work with students on, say, problem solving or collaboration directly. And then beyond that direct instruction, they thread it throughout the learning day so that, say, you're, you're about to take a math test and a lot of students experience anxiety when they're taking a test. Well, there are techniques in SEL that you can use to get yourself ready to learn, get into a calm state of mind, and just nail that test in a way that maybe 20 or 30 years ago, you just hunkered down and, and you did it without much of that threading of SEL into math. I want to pick up on a term that you just used about direct instruction. So when we, a lot of us think about SEL, we think about these are things you just kind of pick up over the course of life, different situations, maybe a first job that you're in or a committee that you're a part of, you, you start to pick up on how to interact with people. But you guys advocate a lot for direct instruction. So talk about that difference between are these SEL skills best taught in the classroom or what are the most effective ways that it does get learned? Yeah, when we look at the studies on efficacy around SEL, you can see pretty clearly that you have to have direct instruction. You, you can't just expect to catch it on the fly. You know, kids, adults, we, we don't learn in an emotional vacuum. We can't learn in an in emotional chaos. So the idea here is let's take it head on rather than after the fact or incidentally and recognize that these are fundamental essential skills that everybody's going to need in order to do whatever it is they're doing. If it's students, it's about the learning experience. If, it, if it's adults, it's about getting the job done. But it's the same basis either way. And so trying to think of these things as secondary is probably a mistake. And the research reflects that. So taking it on directly, uh, you know, there's a lot of worry about, oh, you know, we already have too many things to do in schools. But the advantage of doing SEL direct instruction is you get some of that time back because it saves on some of the other issues that teachers and principals end up having to spend a lot of time on. And the same goes for the workplace. You know, you've got an angry employee. Well, what do you have to do? You're going to have to sit down and have a conversation. There might be some sort of program you send the employee to. A lot of other workers might try to avoid or they might try to complain. That is a waste of time. The way to make time more productive is to work on those issues directly and in a preventive fashion. So you're not just trying to react to the, the, the bad behavior or the bad attitude or 
the troublesome uh, conflict that's going on across your employees. So talk to a manager who's out there right now and is, is dealing with a lot of these, you know, what we probably call people problems, right? Where people just aren't getting along. There's there's a lot of rift and chaos between others that are there. And they feel like maybe they need to do some remedial SEL teaching. How, how can today's manager prioritize SEL and workforce development? Yeah, this is there's a lot of attention being paid to this. It's not always called SEL. But I, I actually think managers today probably have a harder time than the managers will in 20 years because the students in 20 years we graduate into the workforce will have a lot more uh, attention paid on getting it right upstream. So, you know, managers now are, are downstream and, and figuring this out. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's some basic steps probably worth anybody's attention. Uh, perspective taking, for example, is a fundamental issue in social emotional learning. And uh, taking the time to take perspective without just bullying through is probably worthwhile as, as just one small step to address workplace conflict, workplace harmony. And I mean, I could go down the list of things, you know, how, how do you have you set up a culture for problem solving or problem making? Uh, have you made it easy uh, and have you sent a signal in modeling your own behavior on showing your workforce how to keep calm and how to approach, uh, say, a difference of opinion in a productive way? Or is it undercutting or is it, uh, you know, something that the workers are uncomfortable doing? Uh, it's not just tough, touchy-feely stuff like talking about your feelings. I mean, that'll be part of it. You got to be aware of, you know, what your mind's doing at the time you're doing it. But there's so much more than that. It's, it's recognizing how somebody else is operating at that conference table. It's figuring out, you know, the, the next step in a, a, a long, complex process. Are you communicating in a way that's productive? And the list goes on and on. And, you know, there, there's ways to get, uh, for lack of a better word, remedial SEL, but that's not where it's at. The real way employers can uh, develop a good workforce is by figuring it out upstream before it becomes an issue inside their buildings. All right. So let's take it to, at least in the workplace, to the start where you're hiring somebody. So like you said, employers are looking for these these four C's, five C's, uh, people who can communicate well, people who have these kind of high collaboration skills. But those are not easy things to prove. You can't just look at somebody and they have a certification that says, yes, I, I work well with others. Uh, as opposed to you get an MBA from Harvard, you can kind of assume they have some kind of hard skill intelligence they're coming with. But how can employers get better at identifying candidates who have high social emotional skills? Yeah, there's a lot of ways to do this, and there's no one right way. So let me give you some ideas. Uh, one is to think of this as an HR project. When you're first looking for building out your workforce, are you recruiting and hiring with an eye towards these social-emotional learning competencies? You can do it by calling it out in the job description. That'll get you some of the way. You can do this by given a few more points to applicants who pay attention to this in their applications, and they can do it by writing and including it in their cover letter or resume. But, you know, another way to do it is uh, there are credits or badges or credentials that speak to SEL competency. You know, have you taken the time as a workforce candidate to build these skills and can you demonstrate that with some sort of credential? It's not just, you know, it's, it's, it's like an MA, but it's a, uh, it's smaller and more precise to specifically identify an SEL competency. Uh, another way to do it, uh, you can find it in the referrals of 
the candidate, you know, L- listen to who's vouching for this person, how they talk about this person. Are they saying, oh, yeah, this guy's a real statistician uh, and, and list all their sort of technical skills? Or are they talking about some of those uh, other skills that speak to gets along well with others, personable, really smart at problem solving, has a real structured way of doing that, keeps calm under pressure, uh, you know, and the list goes on and on. But again, I'll tell you there's something they can do upstream. They can go talk to their local school or system, ask them, you know, what SEL program are they using? How are they prioritizing that in student time? Inevitably, when you're recruiting for your workforce, you're recruiting from either other workplaces or colleges or high schools. And if you know what those are, you can start asking them, hey, guys, how are you producing my next wave of, of workforce employees? Are you seeing some uh, companies be active right now in working, partnering with universities, high schools, uh, other places? I, I know there are, there are examples, examples of this. I don't know well enough, enough to call them out as exemplars, but uh, a lot more attention is being paid. And, and specifically when uh, institutions or uh, you know accredited organizations are making micro-credentials, these small badges, these small certificates, uh, they are cooperating with uh, higher ed and with future work workforce. But I couldn't tell you how well that's going. What I can tell you is some of the major industry out there is touting the need for some of these SEL qualities. Uh, uh, for example, you know, the new Microsoft CEO, Satya Nadella, was uh, talking about the single most important trait uh, needed for success on that job. And the, that was empathy. Uh, and, you know, you can see Microsoft's actually been doing very well with uh, empathy driving that train. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Let's shift to a, a topic about generations, which you alluded to about how maybe managers in 20 years may have a different perspective on this. With this millennial workforce coming in in strong numbers, one of the things they're maybe stereotyped as is, is being in very much in tune with their emotions uh, in, in some way. Someone says too much so. As these folks start to gain influence in the workforce, what kind of clashes, changes do you see around these these social skills in the workplace? Sure. The, well, millennials, like any generation, are not monolithic, and you're going to get different challenges, and they'll get a reputation as a group, even though maybe only a, a you know a handful of them identify perfectly with the whole set. So, you know, the the older generation, uh, you know, from what I've heard about, well, I should say, I have colleagues and friends who are millennials and uh, we can we can try to take a guess at how they're different and how they're the same but you know older generation younger generation still need to apply the same skills so if if the younger generation if, if millennials who are not that young anymore i mean they're in their 30s are you know more more emotionally aware more emotionally demanding well you, you can either fight that or work with it and because they're already working with you, you might as well pay attention and start recognizing that on the front end. You know, it's, look, I'm a lawyer by training, and, and in negotiation, uh, you know, I was taught a couple of ways, and and one of those is to like recognize the emotions in the room if it's tense and you just got to call it out. It's a great way to relieve tension, and senior workforce could probably do that. You know, w- what I've seen from my millennial colleagues is, you know, really. Uh, mission-driven ambition, and they like a lot of feedback. But, you know, everybody's got an ego, and you don't want to just crush somebody if uh, the way they're working on a problem isn't the best way. You have to be aware. And this is where, you know, again, senior management can do perspective taking. 
they can be patient if they see a difference in a younger approach to solving a problem. Uh, they can model. I mean, never, never a shortage of showing somebody the, the kind of attitude or behavior that you expect from them rather than just, you know, talking it out. On the flip side, do you feel like there are some social skills that are more prevalent in older generation workforce that are maybe endangered or, or becoming extinct based on the generational trends? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, I had a senior partner law firm I worked with who exercised great patience under pressure. And I, I don't see that as much. And, and, you know, he might have been unique regardless of generation, but taking time and, uh, you know, taking perspective, the landscape and thinking without sort of an impulse to act is, uh, well, it's something that I value no matter how old or young you are, uh, but it, it, it's not common and it might be becoming less common, you know, because of the kind of uh, digital natives we're raising. You know, you have a lot of instant interface and you know, I think there might even be a cultural expectation now. You know, you, you, your phone rings, you pick it up. There's no excuse. Your phone's everywhere. You shouldn't just listen to the answering machine. You get a text, you got to respond to it. But sometimes giving yourself space, giving yourself that moment is really beneficial. And like, like I said, I've seen uh, the, the, the senior generation uh, do that really well. Uh, whether they've done that intentionally, I couldn't tell you. But uh, I, I think taking a moment to be intentional with a reaction is a worthwhile quality that I'd say we all deserve to build. Yeah, I totally agree. That's great. As we look to the future, we often talk about the future of work. It's not really going to be possible to come up with a list of automation-proof skills, you know, these hard skills and jobs that, that are going to be out there. Every day, it seems like robots are more and more capable of doing things that we thought were only in the realm of humans. So, as an advocate, do you feel like you know SEL should really start to take more of a central core in in children's education and curriculum than, than other topics to help them learn how to be more human as as robots continue to advance in their skills? It's what we're hearing from the workforce. It's one of our best bets to keep students prepared for this more robotically designed marketplace. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone's going to have some sort of social relationships, some sort of emotional relationships. The question is, are we going to manage that in a competent, intelligent, productive way, or are we just going to kind of do it slapdash and hope that students end up gaining those competencies when they enter the workforce? And the thing is, yeah, uh, we, it's no surprise. You know, we, our artificial intelligence is, is making its way through all kinds of markets, disrupting the workforces that we know. And there are some of these skills that are translatable across different industries. And inevitably, it goes back to, can you work well with others? Are you able to problem solve? Do you have that social awareness and uh, uh, self-awareness to uh, take advantage and be competent as you go through those new jobs and those new markets? Yeah, needs to be a priority. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So we've titled this episode, Work Minus Emotional Illiterates, which may be a, a harsh term for some people, but what do you see as kind of the, the grand vision that that looks like? What does a world look like where everyone is kind of in tune, aware of all these social skills and, and is able to execute on them? Yeah, we, uh, we struggle with 
what to call this because it, it sort of speaks of a, a from a deficit's perspective, you know, emotional illiterate. But look, when you're when you're a kid, one of the most important things that you're going to learn is the ability to read, right? In education, we talk about when before the third grade, you're learning how to read. After the third grade, you're reading to learn. And if you don't get that absolutely essential skill, it's going to be a hard road, uh, you know, getting a good education, a, a good learning experience. But what if you can't read people? What if you can't read yourself? How is that going to affect you in your ability to learn and work with others and just be a thriving individual at the end of the day? And that's why I think uh, talking about emotional literacy is apt. It makes sense. The ability to read yourself and others is completely part of life. It's not just learning. It's not just work. It's it's how you become a person who makes it in this society. So, yeah. So uh, thinking about SEL, social emotional learning, isn't just thinking about workforce preparedness or having a good education. It's about, are you going to be able to maintain friendships? Are you going to have meaningful relationships? Are you going to wake up in the morning and be able to handle whatever crisis or whatever conflict happened the day before? Well, this is excellent. It's been really great to, to speak with you about this topic. I think it's very important. And I, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to come on for this. Jordan, why don't you tell everyone where they can get in touch with you for more information? Sure. So we're doing a lot to address employability skills, workforce preparedness around SEL, among other things. And you might just be interested in learning what your community, what your schools or systems are up to, to help the students for uh, their social emotional benefit. Uh, so go ahead and find uh, Committee for Children's website, very easy to Google. Uh, if you want to write me directly, figure out how else uh, you might be able to get involved. It's advocacy at cfchildren.org. And uh, we'd be happy to have that conversation going forward. Great. Well, I'll include all those links in the show notes. Jordan, thanks a lot for being on the show. It's been fantastic. I appreciate it, Neil. Take care. Thank you. 